go with me to Acts chapter 16 um, in your Bibles tonight. Uh, I want to just uh, thank our team. These guys were killer. Uh, I, wrote, <laughs> I wrote this, um, especially Andrew down here. I love you, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, I wrote this message in between our last service in Sandy and tonight. And then Andrew came up to me and he's like, dude, do you want it on the screen? Because I was going to make you all just write old school. And, um, but you're going to have it on the screen because Andrew's a stud. And so um, thanks, bud. Um, I appreciate that. Acts chapter 16. Are you there yet? You're like, yeah, it's on the screen. So that was quick. Um, perfect. <laughs> Acts chapter, chapter 16 and verse. Can we read a lot of Bible tonight? Is that okay? Okay. I, I, want, I want to set this up. I want you to see how this goes. Um, you'll get Acts chapter 16, verse 6. I'm going to read the front side, though. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 36, says this. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them and had not gone on with them to the work. So obviously there's a little bit of friction happening right here. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. And I don't know what was going on. I don't know who was throwing the temper tantrum, but there's a little bit of like, uh, th there's a little bit of stuff happening in this relational dynamic, all right? Verse, verse 41, he traveled through Syria and Sicily, strengthening the churches. Here we go, checks. Uh, we're going we're gonna to skip 16, 1 through 5 and go to verse 6 now. So that's the backdrop. That's what's happening. Paul leaves this relational breakup. And then he goes to verse 6. They went through the region of Pygeria and Galatia, they had been forbidden. We shout forbidden. I want you to hear this. This is strong language here. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not, every shout not, not, allowed them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately, every shout immediately, immediately, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding, I love this, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Tonight, I want to do this ad hoc message that I'm calling Finding My Way. Finding My Way. Would you pray with me just one more time tonight? Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you would speak right now. Um, we don't need my voice. And so I just empty myself right now of everything that would hold back your voice. Speak through me. Speak to us. May these be your words, not my words. We honor you. Um, we worship you in this moment. We need you. We need your presence and we need your grace in our life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Have you ever made this statement before? Maybe it's been a good conversation. If you think back through your life, and I don't know how many of you do, I won't ask you to raise your hands or anything like that, but I know there's been times in my life where I've, I've said this, maybe as an excuse or maybe as a reality check, I'm finding my way. Yeah. You ever been there before? You ever thought to yourself that I'm just trying to find my way? I'm trying to find my way through this, whatever this, this may be? And I think, I think if we're very honest, from the front of the room to the back of the room, I think there's always these moments in life where I'm, just tr I'm trying to find my way. I'm trying to find my way in faith. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to find my, my way in this relationship. I'm, I'm trying to find my way through my career. I'm trying to find my way through school. I'm trying to find my way. And as I, as I watch this moment right here, there's a lot of interesting dynamics happening because there's this dynamic that Paul is going through a relational breakup. 
okay? And the reason I wanted to read all this scripture, and then we're going to talk about the, the first, first couple verses in chapter 16, is because there's so much humanity involved in this reality, and I, I think many times what we can do is we can come to the table, we can come to church, and we think that our humanity is not involved in the journey, and so many times I think we push back on what Jesus can do in our life because we, we stand in the mirror and they say, but I, I, I've got my humanity at work and I just want us to see something, that part of finding our way involves our humanity, but at the same time, God overcomes our humanity as he offers us grace and his presence in our life. I'm finding my way. And I don't know about you, but you might be finding your way tonight. You might be in here for the first time. This is the first time you've been in a place like this. You're like, what is going on? What are these people? Are there tacos at church all the time? <laughs> if so, I'm here every day, right? I'm finding my, my way. Paul was finding his way. Have you ever looked at the Bible figures and went, they're just so special, right? Like if, if we're honest, especially if you're new to reading the Bible, you might think to yourself that these guys just float everywhere they go, Right? There's just this, these amazing people that have everything together. And, and, and we're seeing right here this, this very human reality of who these guys were as they were finding their way. As they were trying to get to where they're going. And I think many times, if I'm honest, I, I think we can paint the picture that the journey of faith is really easy sometimes. Like it all just happens and, and, and it all just moves the way that it needs to move. But if we're really honest about it, it doesn't. It's a lot like this journey right here where you have no's. You can't go here. You can't go here. Don't go there. Stop moving around. I just need you to stay here. It involves relational breakups. It involves all kinds of different realities going on. Why? Because at the end of the day, I'm finding my way. Come on, is there anybody else in the house tonight that's finding their way? Finding their way. You know what's interesting is that before the church had the designation of Christians, they were called the way. The way. That they were following the way. And I think for some of us tonight, we're trying to find the way. <laughs> trying to find where Jesus is in the midst of this. This crazy life, this culture that we're in. The world that we're in right now. Just trying to find... Our way. And so I want to pull, pull some stuff out of Acts chapter 16 through these verses. And uh, I, ho I hope that we can, it'll just resonate with us. Um, but there's some things that's challenged my heart and I really felt that I needed to bring to our, our church tonight as we have two campuses that are all together right now. And uh, that's this. The first, the first idea that I want to throw at us, every shot number one. <laughs> Finding my way always requires change. No one likes to say it's good on that one. Like four, four people. Right? And they're the people that will paint a wall a different color every other day, right? <laughs> Pastor Sarah over here. Paint it! <laughs> Finding my way always requires change. I want you to see this. We didn't read this part. Acts chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. It says, Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystria and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. <laughs> this, this part's weird, but watch it. So he took him and circumcised him. Now, how many of you think that's an awesome invitation to a journey <laughs> onto the mission field? Like, we just got done building two homes in Mexico. Notice none of the prerequisite was to be circumcised before you left to Mexico. Right? Hey guys, we're going to go build a house. Snip, snip. All right? Like that was not a part. 
That was not a part of, that was not a part of anything that we threw out there. It's a horrible PR campaign for missions, but this is what, <laughs> this is what Paul said to Timothy. Could you imagine this moment? Like, come on, can you just read the Bible with me for a second? Like I said, we look at it, like, this is what Paul's like, hey, Timothy, we're going to go, but first, <laughs> just a quick heads up. The trip may be delayed a few days. <laughs> There's actually a really powerful principle right here is that Timothy was undergoing some change. And here's the thing that I want, I, I want to just kind of create some tension here. Change hurts. Change hurts. Change is the context in which God's grace meets us. Check this out. Grace is not needed where there is not change. He, like, hear what I'm saying? Because grace, God's grace is a power source for us. And if we are not changing, if we are staying the same, then I am saying I do not need God's grace at the end of the day. God's grace only fills the context where I'm changing because it's in my change that I realize once again that I'm not perfect. It's in my change that I realize once again that I do not have it all together. Is it possible that we try not to change because we want to make ourselves believe we have it all together? Because how many of you are honest? When I'm changing, I do not have it together. When was the last time you made some changes in your house and it was perfect looking? Right? We had some guys come in and put shiplap in our house. Like, you know the boards that you put up? And it saved our marriage because we hired these guys to do it. Because if we would have tried to do it, uh, I would have died. And so... We had them come in, and I'm thinking, these guys are professionals, and they know what they're doing and everything like that, and, and uh, Erica, she measured for them, and she was trying to tell them, and uh, she measured wrong, and so um, it was, <laughs> so there was this whole thing going on, and I walked into our house as they're putting the shiplap up, and they're making some change in our home, and I walked in, how many of you know what I'm talking it was like a bomb went off. There was dust everywhere, and there was wood everywhere, and there was, like, dust still covers my garage. They're doing, like, drywall stuff because they put some can lights in. There's stuff happening everywhere. I just want us to see something is that the context of change is messy, and messiness is where God's grace shows up. We got to stop with this perfection thing, but we have to change as well. Come on, am am I talking to anybody today? Finding my way always requires change. Check this out. Change is the place where God meets us. When we maintain what has always been, God cannot bring us into what shall be. When we maintain what has always been, God cannot bring us into what shall be. My concern is that some of us tonight are so against change that we will never step into what God has for us. Why am I saying this? Well, I want to just let us know as a church, we're going to always continue to change. Right? We're always going to continue to push the envelope. We're always going to continue to be like, listen, nothing is off the table short of sin when it comes to reaching people. Like, we won't do anything illegal, but... (laughs) We'll push the envelope. Is it possible that the reason that the church has been weakened in the world that we live in is because we're trying to hold on to dogmas that have nothing to do with orthodoxy. Does that make sense? 
Our orthodoxy never changes, but man, our method may. Right? It may be drums and rock and roll and lights and everything like that right now, but it can totally change. Right? It can move to hip hop. It can move to funk music. I don't care. That'd be sweet. Little rock, <laughs> little funk worship. It will never be country because that's of the devil. And so, um, <laughs> come on, 5 p.m. Water in the tacos. I don't know about you, but I'm finding my way. I'm finding my way. And if you're finding your way tonight, if you're kind of moving through this life and you're kicking the tires on faith and you're finding your way, I'm going to let you know that change is a part of the journey. You're going to have to change. Right? I want, I want to challenge some of us. For us tonight, for some of you who have been Christ followers for a while now, he's still asking you to change. You have not arrived and you have not matured yourself past Jesus. <laughs> right? I'm reading the Bible, like I'm going through some people online with us, and if you shot me questions and I haven't answered this because I was on a beach, so sorry, but <laughs> I'm going through the Bible in a year again, and as I'm reading some of these things, like I'm once again, I'm just, follow, I'm just falling in love with Jesus yeah. all over again, yeah. and I'm changing. Yeah. And I can feel it. Like, have you, like, you ever felt, like, you know when you're changing? And it's like, I'm, I'm going through puberty again. <laughs> Spiritual puberty again. It's all weird, and you feel lanky, and you're like, oh! <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it's like... <sighs> I'm finding my way. I'm finding my way. We have to change. Here at The Well, we're committed to change. Question is, is are you? Are you committed to change? When you're convicted by the Spirit of God, are you committed to change? When He's pressing on your heart, are you committed to change or are you committed to the status quo? When He's asking you to step out, go to Mexico, build a house, are you committed to change? Are you committed to the status quo? Is your comfort more important than His call? I'm finding my way. Number two, every shot, number two. Here's the second thing. Finding my way always requires submission. This is not always the easiest message. But finding my way always requires submission. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. Let's read it again. They went through the region, the um, Pygera and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I want you to see the juxtaposition here. They were forbidden to speak the good thing. That's crazy to think about. Like you would think that the Holy Spirit would not forbid them to go to different places, to speak in different places, to go into certain places. But the issue wasn't what God wanted them to do. The issue was whether they were going to be obedient. And see, some of us think that the greatest thing that we can do for God is be successful. And I want to let you know the greatest thing that you can do for God is be obedient. Even if obedience equals failure. We've got to stop grafting the American dream onto the journey of faith. We've got, to stop, we've got to stop this thing where we're saying that everything that God has for me is about success. It's not about success. It's about obedience. You will not stand before God and be held accountable for where you are successful. You will be held accountable for where you are obedient. 
Is it possible that we're trying to build something that he never asked us to do? Obedience. I will say from a very vulnerable standpoint, like we had two kids. Uh, One of them's 10 now, 10 and 8, she'll be 9 soon. Very close together, like 15 months apart. And then we waited for like a real, we have a two-year-old right now. We waited a really long, long, long time to have the two-year-old. And the thing about it was is that we were in this process of praying through it and going like, God, do you, like at the end of the day, we even submitted, we submitted to God and his plan as to where it came to having babies. Because at the end of the day, we want to be obedient in every area for our life. Even when the obedience has been uncomfortable, now you got a two-year-old running around again. You're like, whoa, what happened, right? You two are awesome, but you go to the bathroom a lot, right? <laughs> and you have teething, you have all the stuff, and it's like, we're getting older, and this is crazy, and everything like that, but it's obedience, and we still don't know what comes, like, why, why third this far apart? And many times, we're trying to figure out the why when he was just asking you to obey. Yeah. There's not always a grand why behind it. <laughs> There's, there's not always a grand why behind it. It's just that I need you to obey. I just need you to submit to me. Why? Because submission is where character is built. I want to say something tonight. Write this down if you're taking notes. Submission to God will always require that we give up autonomy of will. You guys hearing me? Submission to God will always require that we give up autonomy of of will. The ratio of what I want versus what he wants so many times is out of proportion. And I'm just finding in my life right now that I'm having to once again go, this is what I want, God, but this is what you're asking me to do. This is what I really, really desire, and this is what you're really, really wanting from me. What I'm attempting to accomplish tonight is create some tension in the room with this message because I think for a lot of us we've heard the messages where it's real feel good we get y'all pumped up we get y'all hyped up on Jesus we say everything's going to be good in him and everything's going to go the way that we want it to go in our lives until like three weeks later it doesn't and then you're like yo what's up with that And then we're frustrated because it's like, wait a second, it was like kind of a bait and switch. And when we understand that finding my way always requires change and finding my way always requires submission, it starts to change the faith narrative for us. We start to realize that God is still in control even when it feels like everything is out of control. Come on, has everybody, like, have anybody in here ever felt out of control before? And you're like, what's going on? This is like a spiral. It's going kind of nuts on me right now. I don't, I don't get it. Can I just let you know that he still is control, even when we don't feel like he's in control? See, finding my way always requires submission. Paul and Timothy were told no more than yes. I never understood that until I became a parent. And then I realized, come on, parents in the house, how many of you know what I'm talking about? How many times do you say no in a day? Oh, man, it's awesome. Just a broken record of no. Can I? No. Can I? No. They didn't even come out of their mouth. They open it, and you're like, no. (laughs) Right? We say no more than we say 
Yes, and this is what's happening. The crazy part is, is the reason that we say so many no's is because we want to make sure that our children engage in the right yes. And is it possible that in all the places you may, you may feel God saying no and you may experience God pushing back and saying, no, don't go that way. The reason he's doing it is not because he doesn't like you and not because he doesn't love you and not because he doesn't want the best for your life. He actually is because he has the best for your life. He wants the best for your life. That there's 15 no's before there's a yes. It's like, no, 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 yes. Then you step into the yes and you realize, oh my goodness, if I would have taken those 15 no's, this yes would have never been here. This yes never would have been here. Finding my way always requires submission. Number three, every shot number three. Finding my way always requires a vision. Finding my way always requires a vision. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 to 10. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. I heard someone once say that one of the greatest issues that this generation is facing is that we've lost vision. We've lost purpose. Our greatest issue is not so much of what we think our greatest issues are. I think many of the things that we're facing in life actually come from this issue of not having purpose. And many of us in this room, even right now, probably internally wrestling with this, like, what am I purpose? What's the purpose? Like, is this the purpose? Just like work nine to five, do it for some years, buy a boat, retire, die. Is that, if that's the purpose, can we just all agree? That sounds horrible. Right? Can I say that the purpose is not just for the younger generation as well? That's something as a pastor I get a lot. I talk to so many different people, so many different ages and stages of life. And you have an older generation who's thinking that their purpose is gone. You have a younger generation thinking that they have no purpose or they don't understand what their purpose is. And can I just say, if we have both of these generations not understanding their purpose, nothing is getting done. Think about that. So we need to get, like, on board with the idea that God has a grand purpose for your life. And we've said this a lot around here at the well. If you still have breath in your lungs, you still have purpose. Right? Can I just, like, pick on, I want to pick on Helen really quick. I love Helen. You look like a Helen. <laughs> I don't know how many of you know Helen. Uh, Helen taught my kids to, to ski, and I love this lady because we sat in the rally tonight. She, we go, it's going to get wild tonight. We don't know what's going to happen. And she was like, yes, wild party. <laughs> and, I, and I love that. I love that spirit. I love the spirit of her because there's still purpose in her lungs. I look I like so many people here. My parents are in here, and so many people that I look across this room. That I, I like. Listen, I'm not trying to be. I, I'm not trying to be demeaning when I say an older generation. There's just generational gaps in our church here, right? And at the end of the day, I look at I look at my parents, and I look at so many of you in the room, and I say, no, no, no. There's there's still breath in your lungs. There is still so much more that is needed from from you. I, well, and I'm not saying this because she's my mom. I'm not even using it. She's my mom-in-law, but we don't say that anymore. It's mom in love, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, how many of you are thankful for your mamas? Come on, somebody. Yeah? yeah. Sorry. I just want to give honor where honor is due. I was watching you this morning and, and singing, and, and she was, she was uh, helping lead worship and leading worship. And, 
in our Sandy campus, and, uh, and Erica took a picture of her because she's on this amazing journey right now, and I just want to say, like, I'm thankful for your passion, once again, to be the best you that you can be, and what we need is we need the generations being the best you that you can be, because you still have people to lead, you still have people to love, you still have people to reach. See, finding my way always will require a vision. Vision's not one and done. It's progressive. <laughs> like I felt like God put it in my heart in 2001, build a church. We didn't plant that church until 2013. Then we planted that church. And everything changed. Finding my way always requires change. And then I found myself submitting to new moments and new things. And all of a sudden I realized, man, my vision is progressing. God's doing something new. I know we have artists in this room tonight. And we have educators in this room tonight. We have teachers and we have doctors and we have lawyers and we have students and we have everything in between. Can I just tell you that God so has a purpose and a plan for your life and when you seize that thing, come on somebody, you're going to launch into a future that you have no idea. But here's the question. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to submit in order to receive a vision? I want to invite you to write this down tonight. Don't see what we think See what he says. Don't see what we think. See what he says. We need to have a vision bigger than ourselves. <laughs> we have to have a vision bigger than what we can drum up. We have to have a vision bigger. And that vision comes by way of the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. Number four. Everybody shout number four. This is the last one. <laughs> This is going to take us back to Acts chapter 16, verse 36. Remember that moment that we just cued in on where Paul and Barnabas are having their little relational breakup? Barnabas, backstory. Barnabas was the guy who brought Paul into ministry. If you don't know anything about Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was a murdering psychopath. Thank God for change. <laughs> His sole purpose in life was to just burn the church down. And so he would persecute Christians, persecute followers of the way. One day he's going on a journey with a letter in order to do this very thing that he'd been doing most of his life. And on that road, we know it in the Bible as the road to Damascus, he would meet Jesus. And he'd have a moment with them, and it would change everything. Paul would, because of his experience with Jesus, he would move from being Saul, he would become Paul, but there was this person involved with the journey, and his name was Barnabas. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. And so Barnabas would be the, the guy who would activate Paul in the ministry by encouraging him. Come on, anybody thankful for encouragement? Anybody thankful for the people in your life that encourage you even when you're not encouraged? That they encourage you even when you don't see it there? When they encourage you when you're a hot dumpster fire of a mess, they still encourage you. And so, 
So, come on, I'm thankful for the dumpster fire moments in my life, right? And so Barnabas would encourage him, and this is what breaks my heart about this situation, is that even, even in these guys who were passionate about God and passionate about these moments, they had some friction going on, and, and this beautiful relationship would be broken apart in this moment. And here's, here's something that, that broke me, but yet encouraged me at the same moment that we have to understand about finding my way, because finding my way always requires frustration, Finding my way always requires frustration. We have to stop fearing frustration. God frustrates in order to cause us to use faith. Because if I'm not frustrated, I will not, I will not exercise faith. And for many of us, we are in a self-care generation where we try to get rid of frustration and we try to get rid of stress and we try to get, we try to get rid of all these different things. I, I heard somebody use an analogy this weekend, a, a good pastor friend of mine, uh, his, his name's Kevin Gerald, and he was using an uh, illustration uh, at a conference and he said, when the NBA championship is on the line, how many of you know that the guy who has the ball on the free throw line is stressed to the max? But how many of you know that he would not trade it for the world? He would take it over and over and over and over again. And here's what I've come to realize is that God uses the frustrating moments of our life in order to propel us into places where we have to use faith. Because when I'm frustrated, it makes me look up and realize there's some dissonance happening in my world right now. Things aren't feeling the way that I want them to feel. And that's okay because in the midst of my frustration, I can now exercise faith. And when I exercise faith, I know that God will come through in a way that I never even thought possible. I'm finding my way. Frustration is the ingredient needed to drive us out of comfort. Someone needs to write that down tonight. Frustration is the ingredient needed to drive us out of comfort. How many of you have ever gone to a hotel and had the best sleep of your night, life? You know those beds that you just like get into it and you're like, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> you're like, I don't even care why I'm here, I'm just going to stay in this bed, right? Or you slept on that pillow where just like it took your life over. This is the best pillow I've ever slept on. How many of you know that feeling of comfort that then sets in in that moment? You're like, I never want to leave this place. And the problem is, is that many of us, we settle into life that way. We settle into comfort-driven living instead of faith living. And some of us right now are frustrated. We're frustrated at people. We're frustrated at God. We're frustrated at our situations. We're frustrated at the things we're facing. And I would say to you tonight, good. Good. Because maybe now there's a moment where you might pick your head up and start operating in faith. 
because when I'm frustrated, I got no other option because it's shaken me up a little bit, and I got to go to the God who says, listen, I'll work all things out for good. I am in your situation. I, you may not agree with it, but at the end of the day, if you would just trust me in this moment, you may be frustrated now. Oh boy, but there is a miracle. I agree with it, but at the end of the day, if you would just trust me in this moment, you may be frustrated now. Oh boy, but there is a miracle. But there is a miracle on the other side. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was frustrated over the past seven years in different moments, but I stepped back today, seven years later, and I'm, I'm so glad that God God frustrated my heart. I'm so glad that he frustrated my spirit because at the end of the day, we had to step out. And at the end of the day, we planted a campus and another campus. And who knows what's going to happen next? Can I tell you that frustration makes you build homes in Mexico? Frustration makes you open houses for women to be rescued from trafficking. That's what frustration does. So get frustrated. Come on, get frustrated. We build things for God when we're frustrated. We give him glory when we're frustrated. What are you frustrated by? I'm frustrated that it's happening in my city. So we're going to do something about it. We should be frustrated that women are being trafficked here. So we change it. And you're like, well, we can't change everything. We can't rescue somebody. That's a really good reason to not do anything. So get frustrated. Some of you are frustrated that kids don't wake up to food in the morning. Good. Get frustrated. What's he asking you to build? Come on. Do you guys see what I'm talking about here? Some of you are frustrated that there's orphans and that there's widows. Good. Get frustrated with it. Some of you are frustrated that there's kids without families. Great. Get frustrated. Let's start adopting children. <laughs> and the clap gets slower because it's like, oh, wait a second. That requires change. That requires submission. I'm finding my way. That requires obedience. But if you're frustrated, oh, you'll change the world. Church, I'll tell you right now in this room, right now in this moment, if there is enough frustrated people, we will change this city. We will make new things. We will build new places and spaces. Come on, somebody, you'll change the world. If you just get a little frustrated. <laughs> 